everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, Episode 5, Barking Up the Right Tree. This week we're going to take a look at uh, one of my personal favorite Linux distributions, Puppy Linux. It's one of the smallest and lightest uh, uh, Linux distributions in the world, originally created with the purpose, with the with the goal of fitting on a single floppy. That also gives you an idea for how old it is. If it's been around since floppies, uh, then um, uh, it's not exactly a new thing. Wow, I just kind of rambled there, but because this is a kind of raw show that we do, I'm going to leave that and let the world know what an idiot I am. So I'll get right on and uh, introduce our guest with us. Uh, we have our uh, uh, co-host with us, Mr. Chris Neves, known as Slipped in the chat room. Say hello, Chris. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Seth Anderson, creatively known as Seth in the chat room. Say hello, Seth. Hello, everyone. Hey, Seth. And Mr. Aaron Butler, known as the former fat guy in the chat room. Hello, my friends out there. And uh, Chris is our, um, for lack of a better word, enterprise geek. And Seth is our home user advocate. And Aaron is our idiot. I mean, noob in residence. <laughs> um, and I'm just the guy who insults people. So there you go. I'm Don Rickles. I am the Don Rickles of our podcast. I wanted to bring up uh, something. Better uh, than the Ethel Merman, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> do your Ethel Merman. Go ahead. Do it. There's no business like show business. Uh, it doesn't, didn't, <laughs> doesn't come over as well on Skype as it does live. Well, you can't see the hand gestures and the facial expression, I right. guess, is what it is. <laughs> um, one of the things I want to talk about before we get on with the topic of the show is uh, we're a Linux-based show, and I call it a Linux show. I don't call it a GNU Linux show. And uh, Mr. Richard Stallman would be mad at me about that because... Um, just to, to give uh, our audience a, a little heads up there, in case you don't know what that's all about, there's a small percentage of, of people in the world who insist on referring to Linux as GNU Linux. Um, and there's a good reason for it. Uh, it's that um, Linux is the kernel, right? We've talked about this uh, before. It's like the engine. And then GNU is all the stuff around it that makes the car. At least that's what Stallman would say, is that uh, Linux is nothing without GNU, uh, and conversely, GNU is nothing without Linux. So it's GNU Linux. But actually, if you look at the source code, and geeks have done this, and you compile every line of code uh, written by the GNU Foundation or people using uh, uh, officially GNU-type people, it's only like 8% of the code is GNU, and they insist on it being still called GNU Linux. GNU is the people who wrote uh, um, GNOME, uh, the the desktop manager that we talk about, and things like that. And so, yeah, it's important. It's the it's a lot of good stuff. And for example, uh, the compiler that everything is compiled on is GNU, and that's a big deal. So, admittedly, that eight percent is some really core stuff. But for you uh, neckbeards out there, bandana guy, uh, if you're bothered by the fact that we don't say GNU Linux, I'm here to put my foot in the sand and say get over it because it's never going to happen. So that's all I wanted to say about that. <laughs> well, it's funny, Mark. The only thing I ever say is GNOME because that's just because that is GNU. So I always say GNOME, but right. And they do insist I say GNOME because that's like a word, and GNOME isn't. But they do insist that you actually say GNOME. Aaron, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's funny that we, we talk about the the controversy of how to say it. My friend Bob from work, who I, I've mentioned before um, personally with you, he says Linux. Linux? Because it's Linus Torvald. If you ever meet the guy or hear right. him talk, that's how he introduces himself. So it's not Linus, because if it was Linus, it would be Linux. Which some so people Linux, call it Linux. Linux is the one way you would never pronounce it because it's a it's a slamming of it's a com- combination of his name and Unix. Right. So it's just kind of 
there's so much controversy in the right. Linux world about talk the way things are pronounced. I don't know if I can handle it. Linus Torvalds. Uh, yep. he's, that's uh, just crazy too. All the different things that people bring up. It, it's why are we fighting so hard? I, I never understood that. Well, I think because it's, we would rather use Linux than Windows. <laughs> Windows. I I think it's because uh, geeks, the the type of people who use Linux, tend to be contentious by nature, right? They're they're the the geeks of the world, the smarter people of the world, and and maybe that's a way they um you know ins- they get beat up on the football field so but so they can exert their uh, superiority by jumping on Chris when he says Ubuntu. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And what you just heard there, let's go ahead and get that out in the open too. We're, we're, we're all people connected by Skype. There's, there's four people here. We're all connected by Skype. Um, uh, miles away, uh, spanning three different time zones. We're going to step over people. We're going to talk at the same time. Uh, if you're listening, don't consider that rude, please. Uh, if we were at the dinner table together, it would be rude, but over Skype, it's just kind of the way things go. So anyway, um, anything else anybody else wanted to talk about? Sure. Um, I think that something that's come up recently, which is kind of funny to me, is my son has decided to start playing an old card game that is still running around called Magic the Gathering. And I, that's about as geeky as you can get. And it's just funny to me that here my son, who is 10, is now playing something that I played when he was when I was, you know, 10. But I just thought I'd bring that up because that's something new around my life. And my brother-in-law, because I still have all my old cards too. So my brother-in-law plays magic. He goes to magic tournaments. It's still a big thing. It's still pretty big. Oh yeah, it's just weird. It, it, I never thought it would last. I don't really get it. It's like um, I have this thing with so many points, and my entire strategy is that I lay the card on the table. Um, I don't get it. And then you turn it sideways. Yeah. Well, so. you know, it's it's um. It's kind of funny because that those kind of games are so popular and there's such a crossover between computer gaming and, and magic and Dungeons and Dragons and all those kind of things. And they're associated so many times with geeks. We ought to have my friend Don on one day to do his, um, hierarchy of geekdom where he starts <laughs> off with the person that's a casual gamer and ends up at the very, very bottom with, uh, Civil War reenactors. <laughs> Has a whole <laughs> LARPers are slightly above them, and then you have DD role playing, and somewhere in there you have Magic the Gathering and other tabletop games. It's pretty good. And Risk is somewhere between a heavy computer gamer and Magic, you know that kind of thing. I don't know if I'd put LARP above uh, Civil War reenactors. I think they, I think they're heavier geeks than Civil War reenactors. He actually, if he was here, he could describe. He actually has a, a branching uh, logic tree <laughs> where Civil War reenactors are its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually off to the wow. side on their own. Which, based on what you've just described, he's way down there on the list, then, isn't he? Oh yeah, definitely. He, he, created he a- hasn't LARPed yet, but he's considered it many times. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wow. wrong with LARPing. Uh, <laughs> for for those of you who don't know what that means, it's live action role play. It's like the SCA guys, the people who dress up and pretend to be Knights of Camelot out in the s- city park in July. LARPing. If you've never that seen Darkon. Or uh, Monster Camp, take take a couple hours of your life and waste them, and watch both of those movies. If you if you know anybody so that's that, a geek and you need to intervene for anybody that's a geek. Wow! So when I watched uh, what was that movie, Role Models, I thought all that was just made up. I guess <laughs> I'm I officially that not a geek anymore. 
No, there's the uh, Society for Creative Anachronism, SCA. They're actually a pretty big nation, nationwide uh, organization. They get together and have SCA yeah. events. Yeah, there's a huge one. Um, I used to be a part of it when I was in college, and yeah, it was fun. Okay, I real, think we moved had really good beer. I think we moved out of the realm of warm up and into the realm of time wasting. So we'll wrap this up and, and move on to the actual discussion of the week. And and the way we're going to uh, work this show, at least in the short term, is that each of us are going to take a turn, sort of being the lead um, uh, on a show, and that way you get a variety of viewpoints as a listener, and we don't have to do all the work as hosts. Let's let's be honest. That's what it was about. Um, and so today, Seth is going to talk to us about Puppy Linux. As I said at the intro, it's one of my favorite distributions. I introduced Seth to it years ago, and he's sort of taken it and run with it. So Seth is going to talk to you today about Linux and uh, about Puppy Linux. And so go ahead, Seth. Okay. Well, I um, yeah, Mark told me about this whenever I worked for him many years ago, and I just, I liked it, and I'm like the guy that, you know, you show me something, and if I like it, I'm pretty much going to use it forever. I'll be the last person left hanging on. But Puppy Linux, to me, the whole reason I kind of pulled it out of my little technology uh, store trove is I was given this old computer, um, Pentium 3, 800 megahertz, and like 256 megs of RAM. So you're not really going to run anything from the Windows world on it very well. I mean... XP will run on it, but not do anything. So I was, I was like, well, let me try Puppy. And I wasn't, I'm not going to talk about, um, the Wari version, which, uh, W-A-R-Y is a special fork of Puppy that is designed for older hardware like that. Um, that I, uh, and it actually, it works pretty well. I mean, imagine running, um, like Windows 7 on a machine with those specs or even some of the other modern Linux distributions like, um, you know, um, Linux Mint, Ubuntu, or uh, Fedora. And they just kind of, uh, I mean, they will run, like, just for grins. I loaded the current version of Linux Mint, and if I only did one thing, it would do okay, but the second I opened up something else, it would drag. So, Puppy Linux, the Juarez version of Puppy, or Wary, I'm sorry, uh, Wary version <laughs> of Puppy ran great on that. Whereas <laughs> is a whole different thing. How, how yes, do you spell that, and, I'm sorry? How do you spell that? W-A-R-Y. W-A-R-Y, Wary Linux. Just like the word, okay. You're going to be talking about Lucid Puppy, right? Yes. So, yeah, Lucid is what I went with. Uh, I have this little netbook I bought. It's the Classmate tablet PC, and... I just I thought, well, let me see how long it will take to install Puppy on this. So I plugged my CD player into it and booted it up. And I mean, it took me less than 30 minutes to get it up and going. And it runs. I had Windows XP on here for a couple of years, and it runs so much better. And it looks really good. The latest version, which just came out like um, I, maybe a month ago now, it is like from the eye candy looks pretty factor. It's really there. I mean, it's not quite like Windows 7 with the Aereo interface, but I think it looks pretty good. I you, you install it, you have it has Firefox 4. It doesn't have the current 4.01, but you know, so it's got like a it's got like a modern pretty current browser on it. You you can play games, which is important to me. Uh, email, VLC, you can even you can do all these other kind of things 
and on for such a light and small and tiny distribution you can do pretty much everything you can i mean now granted like if you look at the packages available for puppy and the packages available for ubuntu there's like there's no comparison because puppy is so small well that's actually a non-issue now seth because with uh with lucid and beyond uh going forward it's now binary compatible so you can take any anything that works with ubuntu and run it on lucid puppy ah that is cool I um you know I was just kind of looking at it from the end user who uh, I was kind of thinking from Aaron's point of view uh you know I don't want to have to go searching for how to make stuff work I just want to like what do they say and like I was just looking at the um, software repository from the puppy up there, the puppy installer and what was there and I mean you had a wide variety of stuff but you don't have like you know hundreds of everything like you do in um the other fuller Linux distributions. So who is Puppy for? To me, Puppy would be great for like your child. You know, if you have somebody, and again, maybe by the time they're in high school, Puppy wouldn't be for them. But if you have like a a young, like let's say elementary school kid, and you have maybe not your brand new computer, but the computer you got a few years ago, like um, before you, like if you had were running Windows XP on that machine, Puppy would be perfect for you because you get a much you get a very simple interface. There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of stuff that just goes uh, you know just to be there, but it is simple. It looks nice. The all of the icons have like the rounded, almost kid appeal to them. But uh, it's designed for like a home user, and I would say it's not designed to be your primary computer. This would be a great second computer for a family or a person. See, I think you hit it on the head there when you said XP. Uh, Puppy is good for a machine that's been running XP, doesn't have the hardware guts to to upgrade to Windows 7, uh, but you still want to hang it around, and with XP coming out of uh, support and not having any security releases in the near future uh, puppy is a good way to move that so you still have a secure operating system uh, that is functional on that hardware yeah and like you know i'm a, the kind of guy i have like three or four different browser window open a- at one time and each one of those browser windows might have five or six or seven tabs and you know you can get to a point to where you have so much of your browser running that you're going to max out the memory but it, like if I were running XP on this machine, it would not be able to handle the web experience that Puppy is able to handle because Puppy does not take up as much system resources just being on that Windows XP did. You're right. So are you Skyping on the Puppy machine right now? I am not. I uh, I have it up to just kind of look at and go through, but I didn't want to accidentally do something and break it uh, right in the middle <laughs> of it. So I have another computer up with Skype on it. Well, I have a question for you, Seth. While I was doing some research about Puppy, I saw that it is probably the most commonly, or in the past at least, was most commonly used as a just a bootable operating system, either on a thumb drive or a CD or DVD or whatever. A lot of people use it to boot up and then just shut the machine down. Are you... I'm assuming you have yours in, actually installed on the hard drive and use it just as a replacement operating system as opposed to XP or whatever. You're not doing any kind of booting off a disk every time or booting off a thumb drive or anything like that, right? That is correct. I actually installed it on the hard drive. And one thing I did was I made a second 
partition that was NTFS, just in case I ever needed to access it from a Windows machine, it would be able to read that file structure natively. But um, no, I installed it on the hard drive, and in the in the show notes that we were going through, I found a document that shows you how to do a clean install, um, and where you're saving everything to the hard drive. And so when I turn my computer on, I get like um, you know a screen where I can choose Puppy or any other thing I want, and so I just click Enter, and it goes through and it loads. So I don't have to have a thumb drive, a live CD, or anything like that. And Aaron, what you were describing is uh, the heritage of Puppy Linux. Like I said, it was originally designed to be on a floppy, uh, and then right. later, later when it got too big, they moved to CDs. And so that's that's how it was originally designed to be a portable operating system that, uh, like on a CD, will save actually save your data on the CD, so you can carry it with you if it's or if the computer has a CD writer uh, or on a USB, it'll do the same thing. Uh, it wasn't until uh, later on in its development that they added the ability to actually install it on a hard drive because the the guy who created it didn't uh, Barry Caller didn't really see any reason to do that but uh, uh, over time the the user base said hey I want to install this and so the installer was born well you know that cuts to my you're skipping ahead to my kind of my noob discovery of the week again while I was looking at this operating system I, I found it pretty interesting that you could burn a CD bootable CD of it make changes to the operating system and it would incrementally save those changes to the CD for you. So it's kind of a combination of a static and a configurable portable system at the same time. Right. Which is pretty, I, I thought it was a pretty clever idea. I'd actually never heard of that before that. So you, I, I'm assuming this, you tell me if I'm wrong on this, this is how I interpreted it from what I read. You make your install on this, you make your, your bootable disc, you boot it up. If you make configuration changes, change your background, change your settings, change whatever, it actually writes incrementally to the CD, and next time you boot up, those changes are still there. Not just that, but if you save a document on the desktop or a bookmark in the browser, it saves all of that stuff. Wow. So I guess, and I guess that's why they're moving to DVDs, because then at that point, you, you've got the room to actually do some minor document management and those kind of things. What were you saying, Chris? On the DVD. I was going to ask, is when you install it, is Puppy still running as root as a root user, or did, did they change that? Because I know the last time I looked at it, um, it was still running everything as as the the super user for everything, and I I personally have a little bit of an issue with that on the security standpoint. I understand it as for usability, but I've always seen Puppy as one of those. Oh my God, my computer just blew up, and I need to use it to recover data more than anything else. Uh, when I was researching for this show, they have introduced a new user. I really haven't looked at that because, you know, from somebody who is using this has like a second computer, this is not where you would be doing your secure thing. This is like, for me, I see this more as a second computer to get online and, uh, you know, you're just kind of checking your email. I, I, I personally, I'm not going to use Puppy to go in and like do my online banking or anything like that i might i might check some of my email accounts but mostly i'm just going to browse the web and talk and hang out in the online communities and chris to answer your question if you look on the uh puppy linux.org um uh, website they actually talk about the fact that uh linux does run as the root user and and again going back to the comparison to windows xp that's the way windows users have done it forever since uh vista uh since before vista and so it is you would take the same sort of security cautions that you would would take um uh, anywhere else 
All right, Seth. So, uh, walk us through. I see here in the notes you have sort of your, uh, quick notes as you were doing the installation. So walk us through that, uh, as, uh, from burning the CD to, to actually using the desktop, uh, you know, and just quickly give us your impressions, uh, of that whole process. Well, uh, before I do that, I just want to mention one of the things. No, I'm I sorry. You can't go out of order. I told you what to do. You have to do that. Okay, you don't seem well, to think, you don't seem to understand how things work around here, Seth. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I uh, I love the G parted that is in Puppy, and so when I am messing with computer partitions, what I do like in Windows in the Windows world, especially, I will boot to my Puppy CD and I will pull up G parted in there, and I can you know I can repair the file, I can repair partitions, which I've done before. Something happened on my uh, on this computer actually before I wiped it. And my um, it was not usable, so I booted up a version of Puppy on a live CD, and I was able to go in and scan and it, scan and fix the errors, and afterwards I could get back to my data. And there was one time, and I wish I could remember it, but where the 5X version of Puppy could not recognize the disk drive. And so if you're a technology person, I recommend you download a um, an ISO file or, or make your own Puppy 4.3.1 um, troubleshooting disc because like I say, one time I booted up a puppy five CD and it would not recognize the hard drive. Uh, but puppy 4.31 did. And, um, so I don't know why, and I don't remember where I was at, but I thought it was strange at the time. And so I have a CD with puppy 431 that is only for times my current puppy doesn't work. Um, but yeah, so that's just like my technology little semi tip there. Question for you, Seth. Did you, from, okay. from the noob, what is Gparted? It is a partition management utility. Like, um, if you are going to install a window, if you're going to install a computer or an OS on a computer, you know, you have your physical hard drive, and then you can partition that hard drive into various, like, logical drives that are readable by your computer. And so, Gparted is a, a way, um, Partition Magic is very popular in the Windows tech mm-hmm. world, and it costs a lot of money. Um, Gparted is an open source free version you can get with Puppy that I can take a partition that's there, I can resize it, I can delete it, I can create new partitions that are readable by Linux ver- versions of Linux or versions of Windows. Uh, so it's just a partition management utility. The name stands for GNOME Partition Editor, GPartEd. So is that uh, what um, Ubuntu used to do that on my computer when I installed Ubuntu? Yes, it is. Or some derivative just of it, probably. Right. Yeah, I really like GPartEd. It's one of my... I have an actual ISO for just GPartEd that I, I keep in my toolkit. Sounds like an emo band. <laughs> Around here in our you know, school where, where I work, um, we use Puppy as, uh, like Chris was talking about, it's our utility disc. And frequently we do use it for repairing or racing or, uh, or managing partitions. That's one of the, the things that we use Puppy for more than anything else. Uh, uh, because it's small and light and it boots up quickly, we could do a, a, a G-parted uh, only uh, ISO like Chris is talking about, but you never know when you might need to download a file or look up some information while you're on that host computer. So we take Poppy with us. You have everything you need in a complete desktop environment, uh, plus your tools. So that's, that's how we use it here at our school and, uh, have been for a long time and, and will continue to. And so, so I'm assuming you're using it like a lot of people would use a BART PE disk. Yes. 
That's a good description. Yeah, that is it. And the one thing I, I like it, just like Mark said, like, you know, if you're going to install, say, Windows XP or Windows 7 on a machine, on a machine, you know, while that machine is installing, you can't really do anything but watch it install. The great thing about Puppy or pretty much any Linux live distro is while I'm installing it, I can browse the web, I can play games, I can work on documents, I can do whatever I want. So I'm actually able to use the computer while I'm, you know, so-called making the computer. And to me, that's one area where Linux just blows Microsoft out of the water. Um, and nobody, I don't know that anybody's ever really took time to say that out loud, but it's a advantage Linux big time on that one. All right. So, um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, now just, I'll just kind of walk you through the steps I did to install this. It was very simple. It was, and, um, I actually did it while I was watching the rebroadcast of the Mavericks heat game the other night. Um, so, you know, it, I, I didn't have to devote like my full attention to it. I just looked down and kind of clicked what it said to do. Um, but I'm using, I use Puppy Linux 5.2.5, which when I downloaded it last week was the latest, um, the latest, uh, ISO version that they had. And when I first booted it up, I thought, wow, you know, it looks really good. Some of the older versions of Puppy, they, you know, you can tell because it's designed for a small, lightweight OS. You're like, you know, graphics take second place. They're, you know, it's more, just can you use it rather than how it looks. But with the current version, like I say, it looks really good. You have this cool desktop background. The icons are the right version of, they're like the right blend of color standout versus not too big. Somebody actually went through and put some time into making it look good, not just work well. And, you know, like I've heard us talk about, um, previous shows and then like the Taiwa Tech and other shows, you know, that's one of the weak points of Linux is it doesn't necessarily look as good as the other ones. And that was really addressed in here. Um, so uh, since I was installing this to a computer that had an OS on it already, the first thing I did was I went into Gpart Ed and I blew away every partition that was there. I had, um, I have a, um, external hard drive that is uh you know usb i plug it in puppy recognized it it loaded the drivers and i was able to copy files over uh so i was you know got off all of my favorite um downloads i've acquired off the internet uh toolkits and stuff for my uh, troubleshooting and then i went in i deleted every partition and I created two partitions. I created the Linux one, and like I say, I also have a data one because Linux will read NTFS, which Microsoft uses. Um, so I thought, you know, just in case, like if I were ever going to access this hard drive, from, like if it, the computer failed and I needed to pull out the hard drive, I could have my data stored on something readable by either Microsoft or Linux just to kind of keep my options open. So um, and I booted the puppy live CD and... So once they were deleted and I created the partitions, I wanted to do the full version of Puppy. Um, if you go to install it, there's a full version, which downloads the entire OS. And then there's a frugal version, which to me, I don't see the point of frugal anymore because you're not dealing with small hard drives. You know, this is a small hard drive and it's 60 gigs. So Puppy takes up like nothing of that. And so I just did a full install. Um, Seth, do you know how and, much it actually takes up when you have it fully installed? Oh, let me see if I can. 
let me see here. Let me mount my CD and or mount my. I mean, is it just a direct copy? So if it's a 600 meg CD, it's a 600 meg part chunk of your hard drive. No, it's uh, it's largely compressed, so it's going to be equivalent to uh, I'm going to guess uh, a gig. Just I made that up, but that's my guess. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm. Hmm, I'm trying to look it up right now, so it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take up a whole lot of space, but yeah, I'm going to say, okay, here we go. It's a 14, it's a 15 gig hard drive, and I have just over 13 gigs free, so it uses a gig and a half. less than, yeah, less than, less than two, so a gig and a half would be a good thing. So again, Thanks. with any hard drive in the last, what, 20 years, that's not going to be an issue. One of the interface things that I find uh, weird about uh, Puppy, and I wonder what you thought, Seth, uh, is the the single click. Everything launches with a single click, uh, and I find myself opening everything twice because I'm so conditioned to double click. Yes, that happens to me a whole lot. Of course, that is an option that's available for some Windows users. I never used it, and I when I first boot up Puppy, I do that a lot. Like I even did it just now to answer the question. I went up and I clicked the file thing twice and I had two of them. But it's one of those after you used it for a few minutes, you get to where you remember that. Like, you know, when I first pull up Firefox, I get two things. Sometimes I get a message saying, Firefox is already running. You must close it to launch a new process. And I was like, no, I just double clicked. I'm sorry. So, uh, but yeah, that is, it takes some getting used to, but, um, uh, Again, I guess it maybe it's just easier on the file structure. See, and I have everything set to do a single click to launch, and I set all my machines to do that, so that wouldn't bother me at all. You would be right at home then. I would. Yeah, puppy, puppy was made for you, Chris. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I went through, and then, like I say, once you get it installed, you just go through the. You go to start. It's the little. It's not a start button because, you know, like uh, it's a little puppy start. And so you click on the little puppy's head and it looks a lot like it would in like any version of Windows current. I go I click uh, the puppy and then I go to setup and then I go down to puppy universal installer. And then it gives me I can install it to a USB drive that like I could take with me from computer to computer and have a full OS, so it's like I wouldn't need a live CD um, and internal, external drives. Um, and I just chose, like I have an internal SATA drive, so that's the one I chose. Um, so the one thing that was kind of weird for me is like this text, this uh, when the puppy, when the installer is like halfway finished, you get this text file that pops up and it tells you to copy this information into your boot thing. But I, I did not have to do that. I just... Uh, um, I was able to go in, and then when I went to install it, I chose the MBR, which stands for Master Boot Record, to put the boot files, and then it created everything for me. Uh, so after I was finished, I wanted to make sure I did it right, so I restarted. And one thing that was different than, like, XP, um, it, it would just kind of hang at the screen asking me what I wanted to boot into, and I haven't yet looked to see if I can set that to automatically, but I chose the puppy version, and then I went in, and I have Linux going. I have puppy going on my desktop. So um, it is a little bit more um, tech-centric, not much, but like I can't just click on the Internet the first time. I first have to click on Connect and then choose the... Um, 
whether I want to use my wire or my wireless, and then it will set up that connection. And uh, like I put in the show notes here, Puppy isn't perfect, even though I like it really well. I'm having some issues getting it to recognize my wireless driver or my wire. It sees my wireless card, but it can't like operate it. And I have only spent just a couple of minutes looking through and I haven't found an issue. I haven't found the easy fix for that yet um, in order for it to get to use my wireless on Puppy. So the that's why I say it's really good. Or, go ahead. I was saying the same issue I have with Ubuntu. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I guess the fact that they're kind of similar and are using some of the same underlying things, it, it might be. But like I say, I only spent just a couple of minutes looking, and I, um, I did not, I haven't fixed the issue yet. But it's something I'm going to investigate because I'm thinking I really want to keep Puppy on this machine. It just seems like this machine would be perfect for Puppy. Part of the issue that, that you have with that with any Linux distribution is, um, remember the days of the old Win modem? Um, you know, it was, it was literally a modem designed to run with Windows. Uh, Windows had most of the code for it and the modem, uh, hardware was, was very minimal and therefore they were cheap. So everybody had Win modems and it only worked on Windows. Uh, wireless drivers are sort of the same way. Um, manufacturers write their drivers write their hardware, design their hardware for Windows. Uh, and so when you put any Linux dis- distribution on it, be it uh, uh, Puppy or Fedora or, or uh, Ubuntu or anything, you're going to often run into wireless glitches. Uh, it's a very common problem. Well, and that they're fixing, though. I mean, a lot, of those, a lot of these wireless cards now are working out of the box or within minutes of being out of the box. So Yeah, well, uh, but Seth is talking speci- specifically about older hardware. Chris, what you said is true of newer hardware, uh, but of older hardware, the, uh, right. it's not really the case. So I, uh, in your case, Seth, I'm going to lay you five to one that you're not even going to ever get wireless working on that with Puppy. Well, and there was an option for the wireless. You know, I could choose to click Windows, and I'm sure there's some way to load a Windows driver in Wine or something, but I I just haven't investigated that yet because uh, I've had a weird schedule this week. But I'm going to look into that because, like I say, it's one of those things I just – I want to be able to figure it out just so I can say I did. But – you know, this version of Puppy, like, I I don't have the firewall turned on, but it has a firewall I can configure and everything. So it's a pretty it's a pretty good OS. You know, it's not like a stripped down, bare bones, you can only do one thing OS. It's a truly modern operating system. What I often tell people, my sort of my standard answer when they tell me that Linux doesn't work with my wireless, is that uh, you can get a USB Wi-Fi adapter for $18 at Walmart, uh, and you will save yourself uh, thousands of dollars worth of headaches by spending that $18. Yeah, right. That's about how it works. But, you know, I have um, I have a really long cable in my bedroom that I can reach anywhere with, and so if I'm just you know it's not a big deal for me um right now but it's just one of those things you know it's kind of like that's just i want to figure this one issue out so that's what i'm going to do uh I, i'm and besides i'm the tight one i don't want to spend 18 dollars. <laughs> hey man it's your life go for it but uh, <laughs> as i get older i find that it's uh even though i'm a tight wad, it's better to spend a little money uh and save a lot of headache right but um and yeah like i say that's I agree with that to a large extent, but you know, I'm 
poor and in debt, so I have time and not money. But and again, I figure that if um, you know, you can always buy more hardware to make your machine work better. But one of the things I was looking at with this is what can I do to make the hardware I have work really well. So um, it's just uh, you know, it was more. This is as much for an experiment as anything else. I'm with you. I get you. Well, the last thing I did before we started the show was make a 50 foot network cable. <laughs> See, that's that's because you're a true geek. True geeks make Ethernet cables. Exactly. Um, yeah, buddy. All right, orange, so orange, green, white, blue, blue, white, green, brown, white, brown. There you go. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> that's it. I recite that in my sleep sometimes. <laughs> uh, what what other things did you have to say about uh, a puppy Linux? Seth? Well, I was just going to say, um, you know, looking at this with my background, I would say that this is puppy is not something you're going to see in the business world. I can't think of a lot of business use cases for it, but if you were like in an education setting, I could see this has like an elementary or maybe even possibly a middle school setup. Um, but for, for home use puppy would be great. Um, and like I say, it's awesome, but it's not perfect. You know, there's that wireless driver issue, and there's just a couple of other little quirks that, I mean, every operating system, whether it's Windows or Mac or Linux, has its own little quirks that are just a matter of getting used to. Well, but, Seth, tell tell everybody, you were around when I invented it, tell everybody what we use Puppy for here at my school, because we've got it installed yeah. in hundreds of places. Yeah, Puppy, We um in when I was working there, we used it to launch a remote desktop client and connect to a Windows terminal server. So from that sense, you could use Puppy uh, very much in a business world to maximize some old hardware. But I was just, um, I was thinking, looking at the Puppy desktop and using the Puppy OS as your interface. Uh, I don't see it in a business world. But to take a really old, really old, old, old hardware that, you know, was around from last millennium and literally connected, <laughs> literally last millennium and get a modern usable 2010 opera uh, computing experience. Puppy saves you a lot of money. You, you, you spent what a couple of days making that work originally versus, you know, think of how many computers that that fix gave you. Right. At uh, one point in time, uh, it's down significantly now, uh, but at one point in time, we had 348 of those what I call uh, chubby clients running. Uh, they were a thin client, but not really a thin client. So they loaded Puppy. Puppy had one task, and that was to run the RDP client and connect to our terminal server. And so the user got a, uh, a, a Windows 2003 server uh, um, desktop complete with sound and video and the whole bit on a laptop that was built in 1998. And so uh, we use that a lot uh, for a long time. Uh, and so that's uh, Puppy. That's one of the reasons that I like Puppy so much. It's small enough and has good, such good hardware support that it'll, it'll go anywhere. And so even if you're not using it as a as your working desktop, it's great for um, internet plumbing, so to speak. It's great for the the pipes that run your network uh, where people don't see it. It would be good for a kiosk for a, a you know one or two usage sort of thing. I have a, yeah, I have a question. And it's, a, it's a great toolkit. I use it. I use it for G Part Ed. That that is the main reason I carry the CDs around with me. Is whenever I need to get an access partition level information, this this is what I choose. Aaron, what was your question? I um, 
as the noob, I, I'm obviously everybody that's kind of peripherally even heard of Linux always hears about the dual boots and everything, you know, such a computer up to dual boot, dual boot, dual boot. And of course you can run a windows virtual, um, desktop inside of Linux. Right. Am I right. correct in that? Yes. I remember that correctly. Yes. Like you can launch a win. That's how people watch Netflix on Linux and that kind of thing. Can you do the opposite? Yes. Can you run Linux as a, like just a, um, uh, I don't know what you was as a virtual machine. For. Virtual machine, thank you. I just said it. I couldn't remember the word. As a virtual machine inside of Windows, because what I'm saying, um, let me let me tell you where I'm going with this, and you can tell me the simplest way to do this. My son is four. He'll be five in, in a little less than a month. He is pretty computer savvy, like most five-year-olds are these days. Um, we have a computer in our den at a desk. He, you know, he gets on there, and he plays Wild Kratts and PBS Kids and every other little thing like that uh, at times. It's nice for me to come back and find my icons still existing on the desktop, and my and and I've, I found my I found an icon one time named bit like that, where he had clicked on it, clicked again, started typing. So I was thinking it might be easy to put one link on the desktop that said Nathaniel. He would launch that, and it would launch Puppy. Um, and then if he messed up everything in Puppy, it wouldn't matter because when he launched it again, it would be back to the steady state or something along those lines. Absolutely. This, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, I do that. In fact, on the machine I'm on right now, I have two Linux machines open as we speak. Um, one of his puppy that I created while Seth was talking. <laughs> it, that, that was how quick, it, how long it took. I pointed it at, I already had the ISO downloaded because like I said, I have it on here. I pointed the virtual machine at the ISO and booted it. And so it booted in a live session just like it would on a, on a machine in a matter of seconds. Uh, and, um, and I've been working with it, um, as he's been talking. So I guess my first step would be to get virtual PC or one of those, uh, freeware desktop virtualization apps loaded on my, my computer in there and then pull that ISO down and just drive it from there. Yeah. VirtualBox yep. is the one I would recommend. VirtualBox. That's and, right. Okay. It, it kind of depends on if your computer has the specs to run it, because if you're running Linux inside windows, you're going to take a huge performance hit of running window or running Linux natively. So you might look at the option in puppy of doing a full install to like a four gig USB thumb drive that he could boot from. Um, because, like I say, if you've got enough RAM and enough uh, processing horsepower, what you're saying will work great. But you're not going to get the full it, – it, you might notice a performance lag that wouldn't be there if you remove Windows. Whereas if you went the other way, if you were running Windows in a virtual machine inside Linux, you're not going to notice a big a performance hit from the host OS. It's a, it's a cheap laptop. It's got a couple of gig of RAM, but it's, it is cheap. But, again – He's five. He doesn't right. have the number to the help desk to complain about performance. And so uh, right. if it'll work and work consistently for him and it would make the management of that desktop, because I do use that computer and, you know, and we do supervise him when it's on it, but we don't watch him every, every second. And uh, it's nice to not have things broken or moved or, you know, heaven forbid he launched our money program and went in and wiped out something, which would be hard to do. I mean, you can't get directly into it, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. So, um, right. You, would it, what I would recommend on those kind of specs, would it yeah. run fine? You think? Oh yeah. Uh, what I would recommend is if you're going to run it through VirtualBox, is make sure you have a snapshot of the of the system, because that way, if you know, you always have something you could roll it back to in case he does break 
which I don't know how he would break it, but in, in case that, you know, he does try to break something inside that, that virtual puppy install. If you're right, going to so use the virtual I'll play box, around with virtual I would almost bet that your laptop is going to be easily big enough to handle a virtual box of puppy. Now, if okay. it was, if you're trying to, if you're going to try to virtual box, say, uh, Ubuntu or Fedora, I would say probably not, but I would say puppy would run okay. There wouldn't be too much of a performance hit. Well, again, all he's going to be doing is browsing the web. I'm assuming it handles Flash. Oh, yeah. Fine. Yes. Yes. Because that's every game he plays on there. All the PBS kids' websites all are Flash, um, which yes, is kind of interesting. Does. And I believe um, out of the box, I, I'm I'm relatively certain that it either comes with Flash or it's like one or two clicks away from getting Flash. I don't remember I, which of that is, those it is. I just want to comment that my friend Joshua has joined the chat room. Hello, Joshua. And I'm guessing that he's Ooh. listening to the live stream as well. Yes. Hey, Joshua. See, I bring my own audience because <laughs> that's the way awesome. I roll. I bring an audience with me. It's an audience of one, but I brought him. Well, you doubled the size, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, and to answer you your answer- question, Aaron, I went. Um, I have a bookmark of a Flash game website, and I am on it right now. So okay, great. It just it does, and I, I have not added. Like I say, I added Firefox because I'm familiar with the Firefox browser. Um, so I don't know if the other the native. Um, OS with Puppy does it, but if you download the Firefox package, it works uh, just by installing Firefox. And running it, I'm running the uh, live CD version, and it did not have Flash in it. So uh, there you go. That answered your question both ways. I'm running right off the CD. I went to YouTube, and nothing worked. But you so said... I haven't used VirtualBox, so I should be able to install VirtualBox pull down Puppy Linux, bring it up, bookmark Nathaniel's favorite things, make sure I've got um, Flash installed, everything works the way he wants it, then take a snapshot of it, set that as the default to launch when he launches it, and then I'm good to go. You can even uh, put a bookmark to the to that virtual machine on the desktop that you can That's name. what I was planning on doing. Yep, yeah, and it'll, it'll work pretty much slick. And, of course, Great. what I did to get access to all my bookmarks in Puppy is I used the XMark plugin for Firefox. And so when I downloaded Firefox for Puppy and installed it, I just added the XMark plugin. It worked. I put in my password. And so now I have all my bookmarks. And I don't – I got you. You know. Right. Yeah, it would be the same thing as if we were using Google App or Google Docs or something like that. You're just putting it on the, on the, yep. in the cloud. Right. Excellent. So, yes. Cool. All right. Any well, other comments? all I can think of for Puppy. Okay. Now, if any of you guys want to get rich, if you were to take what I just said and put it in something in a format that was really pretty and with a self-installer and put it on an end cap display at Best Buy, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think parents would, you know, the average computer user that doesn't know how to download and install VirtualBox and set all that up and make the you know all that kind of stuff would just go crazy for something like this. I think that I think that would be a handy tool for any parent that has a kid on any preteen kid that uses a computer. Yeah, that would be. And um, 
you know, and that's actually, it was kind of one of my uh, tips for one of the other show notes was uh, all of the, if you do virtual box or um, VM player or whatever, there are hundreds of OSs that they already have an image for that you just download like you would a file. Now, I haven't done that yet, but um, I noticed that one of them even had a version of Puppy. So uh, well, there you go. So like I say, that, that's a future show. <laughs> that's another episode. Coming in future attractions. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, Puppy Linux is that it has a, uh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but it has a utility built in for customizing and burning your own CDs. Uh, it makes it uh, point and click easy to make your own custom Linux distribution. So you take Puppy, you install whatever software you want on it, you you put whatever bookmarks, any applications, however you want to do it, and then you export that to a live CD. So now you can take that with you everywhere you go um, or distribute it to other people and you can have your own custom version of Linux uh, based on Puppy Linux. Uh, that It's really easy to do that. So that's a geek feature right there. Okay, no, com- no more comments on that? I think we're good. Okay, so it's time to move on to our tips of the week. And we'll start with our, what was he, uh, Seth? Command line godfather, uh, Chris, to give us his... Godfather of the command line. Yes, his yes, command, line the command line tip of the week. Well, today's tip of the week is going to be rsync. Now, I know I would say probably most of you are familiar with just doing a straight copy, you know, like filed copy somewhere. What rsync does is it's kind of like your file copy um, on steroids because it actually will do it'll copy to anything you know over the internets to another drive that you have locally connected but the reason I like rsync so much is it does a lot of file verification checks so like I use it when I do a backup of my laptop because I want to make sure that everything I'm copying is a hundred percent guaranteed the same on the destination as it is on my laptop. And it's, it does have a GUI interface, a command, a, a Windows interface that you could use, but the command line version of it, which takes a couple seconds to figure out the right switches and how to do it, but it works so well that if you're going to be doing any copying of files that you want to make sure, you know, like your vacation photos or wedding photos, uh, take a look into rsync. Um, you can look up, if you go over to Wikipedia, there's a little thing on rsync that works, that sh- tells you everything, uh, uh, what you need to do in order to use it. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely the tool for any form of copying. I love rsync. It's, uh, a great tool. It is a little geek heavy. It is a command line, but that's why you are command line godfather i just want to throw out there uh even though this is a linux show there is a linux version of it uh you can i mean a windows version of it. you can actually run rsync on windows and i do that for my backups around the the office the delta copy that you're talking about it only copies the parts of the file that have changed so if it's a five gig file you changed one meg of it the copy will only copy one meg of it which is awesome yep. for doing uh huge enterprise-wide backups We've used that at, at our office before um, for those kind of things. Uh, are either you guys or any of you guys familiar with SyncBack? No. S-Y-N-C-B-A-C-K? Yeah, I've used it before. It's a nice tool. 
Yeah, it doesn't do the, I don't think it does the um, incremental copy like rsync does, but it's nice for the end user. I use it for kind of a funny thing. I've got, um, since my other tip I've already shared up early in the store, in the show, um, I use that, I use SyncBack for, I've got an iTunes account, but I don't have an iPhone. Uh, my wife has an iPod, but I don't have an iPod. So I've got on my iTunes, I've got a mixture of MP3s and what is it, the double AHC or whatever they're, their proprietary version that that they'll kill you if you try to convert it to an MP3 without burning it to a CD and as a WAV file and bringing it back in, all that kind of stuff. AAC. So, yeah. So I've got, you know, half I'm using MP3s, half is not. I've got I use SyncBack to just simply, I've got a job saved. I can plug my phone in and just say, copy over every MP3 out of these folders and go through and pull just the MP3s, and I can exclude really easily some of my wife's music that I may or may not want to go run to. Um, <laughs> Some some of it's great to run to and some of it's not. Zamfir, so the pan flute, certain folders do really it for easy you. to do that kind of thing. Uh, really easy to do the. Uh, do you want a copy? Do you want to back up? Do you want to sync between the two? You know, if you've downloaded something here, put it there. It, it's pretty nice too. So I, for maybe for the less geeky person, they might take a look at sync back as well if they're looking for a backup solution. That's Does Windows sync back based? have the, the file verification though? be honest with you, I don't know. It does do a pretty thorough job and will tell you an error log if there's any kind of problems and things like that. I don't know what level uh, of file okay. verification it does, what kind of parity or anything like that it's got, but it's it does give you a pretty good um, kickback on whether the file copy was successful even when you're doing, you know, it's pretty easy to look if you, when you copy thousands of files over if, it, if it's working well. All right, so Seth, uh, what is your end user tip of the week? Well, um, while I'm not looking to make a whole bunch of command line godfathers out there, in Linux, and even in Windows for that matter, occasionally you do have to get to a command line. So I have a link to a Tech Republic blog that goes over 10 uh, Linux useful command lines. And of course, I'm sure they don't all work in every distribution. But, you know, it's just like if you're running a Windows machine, you need to know how to go to the command line and pull up your IP config or ping a website. There's just certain uh, certain commands that would be nice to know in the Linux world. And so this article kind of goes through 10 of them and kind of tells you how to use them. And I mean, I could sit here and read it to you, but again, he, he explains them in a way that would is much better than what I could do. So the link will be on the show notes and it's just, like I say, sometimes I don't like the command line, but I still have to use it occasionally. Um, I'm more of a GUI guy, and uh, but it's always nice to know what to do when you have to go there. So this is 10 ones that, you know, you don't necessarily have to know all the switches, but it would be nice to be familiar with them. All right. Yeah, just going over them. There's a lot. Yeah, he does a pretty good job looking through them. So, Chris, is that your next 10 command line tips of the week right there? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. A lot of these are, you know, ones that if you're going to start playing in the command line, you need to know them. Right. Especially number six. Oh, and okay. so it's a, a a cliffhanger. We don't know what number six is. You'll have. To how do you pronounce look. that? Because I always say I don't know how to pronounce it, so I've never said it before. But ch mod is how I say it. Ch mod. Yep. Okay. Just like I always, it. when I see things like this, I try to make them one word. And so Shemod. I was getting like chamode or something. So. <laughs> Commode? Yeah. 
there's a there's a, a mate for that command that works really well. Ch uh, own. Yes. Those are two that you need to know. That one actually should be a slash on his website. There's ch mod and ch own. Those are they go hand in hand in my book. Right. Ah. Tron. Sorry, couldn't help it. What? What? Tron. What was that? Oh. Tron. It's actually that's a command line from Basic. Tron was actually a command. Trace on. It would spit yeah. out the line numbers of your Basic code as it as the program ran. <laughs> wow! I wow! I did not know that. You just went way and, geek on us. And Trough turned it off. There you go. <laughs> the and sequel that, to Tron should have been Trough, but they didn't do it right. They did Tron Legacy, which made no sense. The sequel to Tron shouldn't have happened, in my opinion. But, uh, <laughs> you didn't like digital Jeff Bridges? <laughs> <laughs> it was creepy. They, you know, you talk about the uncanny valley where something is close but not quite. That was him. He was swimming in the uncanny valley there. Jeff Bridgetal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that sounds like a good time to wrap up this show. And let me just remind you where you can find out more about us. I mentioned in our previous show, which hasn't aired yet, and all this happened before it's going to air, that we're doing some rebranding, and so... um, the new home of all things podcasting for, for this group of people is a website called elementop.com. So that's element, O-P-I-E, elementop.com. And you can email us at edl for everyday linux at elementop.com. Uh, you can also find us our Twitter feed. Yeah, I, as soon as these guys give them to me, I sent an email and they didn't either didn't get it or chose not to respond. But uh, I, I'm going to get uh, these guys all their Twitter handles and we're going to create a Twitter list and that'll be available at twitter.com slash elementopie. You'll be able to subscribe to the personal feeds for each of our hosts rather than having a show feed that may or may not have much information on it. Um, it will have uh, a uh, uh, the feeds of all the individual people, so you'll get to know us a little bit more as people. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, everybody doing that. And and maybe we'll the thousands upon thousands of of uh, everyday Linux listeners will uh, will come to throng to our uh, Twitter f- handles, and we'll be right up there at the top. We'll be Lady Lady Gaga. Think we can do it? There you go. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's a Yes, we can. <laughs> That's right off the Obama campaign trail. Yes, we can. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's going to wrap us up here for this week. Uh, find us out. Come, uh, oh, also on the elementopi.com, there's a, uh, 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 everyday Linux show forum. All sorts of, uh, good information should exist there in the near future. Right now it's blank. So we're depending on you to put it there. So, uh, give us a, uh, an email or drop by the forum and talk to us or find us on Twitter and, and let us know, uh, how you think we're doing, what we could be doing better. And, um, um, just talk about Aaron's beautiful bald head. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, guys. Bald by choice. <laughs> Not by nature. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap that up. And so that is uh, that concludes this episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs>